everyone, we continue our read through of the New Testament. Today, we are in John 19. John 19 gives us the full passion narrative. As Christ is beaten, flogged, crucified, and buried. Let's read together. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have the law. And according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's stop there for now. So here we see this fascinating interaction between Pilate and Jesus and Pilate and the crowd and this whole situation. Pilate, having been told that they would prefer Jesus to be crucify Jesus to be beaten as opposed to Barabbas, the robber and the murderer, has Jesus flogged. And during that time, Jesus is mocked. This was a common practice of Roman soldiers to mock and to belittle those who they are torturing. So after having him mocked and flogged and they had dressed him in purple clothes and stuff like that and the crown of thorns that they beat into his head, he delivers them out to the crowd thinking surely that this punishment this severe lashing, which would have ripped bone or skin from bone and, and would have left him bloody and beaten, that he comes out and, and is clearly shown to have been mocked and belittled, wearing a purple robe and having a crown of thorns. And it says, surely this will appease the crowd. That's, that's what Pilate thinks. They'll see how bad this man has been beaten to a pulp. And they will appease him. And Pilate doesn't want to do any more than this because Pilate keeps saying over and over like he knows that there's no guilt in him. He knows that there's this man's done nothing wrong. So what's fascinating is that even Pilate, though he is wicked and he will ultimately surrender as a coward and one who is wicked, a wicked ruler and, and give in to the demands of the crowd, Pilate shows more of a conscience than the hardened Jews do in this specific moment as they yell out, crucify him, crucify him. In spite of the fact that there is no guilt, Pilate continues to seek to distance himself 
from any sort. And so he has Jesus brought back in after they want him to be crucified. And he says, hey, where are you from? And the reason why I ask this is because the Jews say, listen, he's made himself to be the son of God. And so he ought to die. This was a, a, a charge of blasphemy that they're leveling against him. And this actually makes Pilate more concerned because Pilate's like, whoa, this guy's calling himself to be a son of God. Now I really don't want to get this wrong, right? Because there were many concepts of demigods and other things within that Roman sense of religion. And so Pilate isn't sure what he's dealing with at this point. So he seeks to answer or seeks to question Jesus one more time, asking, where are you from? And Jesus gives no answer. Jesus remains submissive to his arrest and a trial. And part of this silence is the, re- is the reality of his self-offering. He is surrendering himself over to the death. And he makes, and, and Pilate's like, how, how dare you be quiet? You know, like, don't you realize I can let you go? Right now it is in my power for you to either be crucified or to be set free. And you won't answer. And I love this, right? Jesus makes very clear Ultimately, everything that's happening is not because of anything that Pilate can or can't do. This is a part of the sovereign plan of God for Christ to die in the, for, in, in the place of sinners. And so he's telling Pilate, listen, even in the midst of all of the wickedness and all of the cowardice, the only authority that has been given to you today is that which has come from God. Right? None of this is happening apart from God's Sovereign plan. Nevertheless, Pilate wants to release him. And so he brings him out again. And he pleads with them, right? But they make it clear. If you release him, you are no friend of Caesar's. Because he has made himself out to be a king. Caesar's friend was a recognized title for political supporters of the emperor. And the Jews were threatening Pilate with the suggestion that he will be considered a traitor to Rome. If he releases someone who is going around calling themselves a king. So Pilate hears this and in his fear brings back Jesus to a place of judgment. One final place where perhaps he will recant. Perhaps something will happen as he sits on this. We are told that this was during the, the day of the preparation of the Passover. And this is, so, this is often understood to be Thursday But if so, John portrays Jesus being crucified at the same time as the Passover lambs. This appears to conflict with the record of the three synoptic gospels where Jesus' crucifixion occurs on Friday. But probably the reference here is to Friday as the preparation day before the weekly Sabbath itself. And so I don't think that this is all at all referring to a contradiction or a change, but rather is referring to the day before the Sabbath, the, the Sabbath of the Passover week. So finally, right, he brings out to the Jews, behold your king, right? They, they want, he wants to give them one final opportunity to maybe have an opportunity to, to mollify the Jews, to, to make them say, all right, you know, you can release him. But nevertheless, they make one clear statement. We have no king but Caesar. They were so hardened that they had rejected God as their king. They were sealing the judgment that would fall upon them many years to come because of their hardness of heart. Nevertheless, this had to happen. Christ had to.
to be crucified. They did not know this, but this was all a part of God's perfect plan so that what man meant for evil, God meant for good. We read, So they took Jesus and went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, where in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots, for it is to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John's crucifixion scene is noticeably different from the accounts in the synoptics. There is no Simon of Serene, no mockery from the bystanders, no cry of abandonment, no midday darkness, no tearing of the temple curtain, no centurion's acclamation. Yet many details, however, remain. The crucifixion itself, the soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothes, Jesus offered, offered wine vinegar. John adds further points. The dispute between Pilate and the Judean leaders over the trilingual language on the cross. Multiple scriptural citations, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Exodus 12, Numbers 9, Zechariah 12. We see the presence of Mary, the wife of Clopas. The exchange between Jesus and his mother. A beautiful moment of of him fulfilling that fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. He did so even unto death he cared for his mother. The breaking of the legs of the other thieves on, the, on either side. We'll see here in a moment the Roman soldier's spear thrust into Jesus' torso. All of these things which come are, are found different in John's crucifixion account. Yet the one thing that we see here that is so powerful is the words to tell us die. It is finished or it is done. Jesus closes his time on the cross with one powerful statement. It is finished. What is finished? Christ has fully drank the cup of God's wrath for those whom He died for. Every drop of the wrath of God has been drank by Christ on 
Calvary. The cup has been drunk. It is finished. The perfect atonement accomplished. Christ's sacrifice. Absolutely perfect in accomplishment. It indeed was finished. Never needed to be done again. Verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the others who had been crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spice, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one yet had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. We'll stop there for now. Here we see this moment of after, once again, in order to hasten the death of the thieves, they had their legs broken, and they were shocked by the fact that Jesus had already died. But we shouldn't be shocked because Christ is the one who gave up. Remember he said back in John, I have authority to lay down my life, and that's what he did. He gave up because no one took his life from him. He gave his life fully, and in order to check to ensure that he was dead, they, they put a spear in his side. And this act proved that Jesus was not merely in a coma, not, you know, pretending to be dead, but was actually really physically dead. Shown by the burial preparations and the, and the specification of a particular tomb, and both the preservation, the preserving of his bones and the piercing of his side fulfill Old Testament scripture. And John emphasizes the physical evidence that Jesus was a real human being and that he was dead. And it's been suggested that the rupture of the heart caused by extreme agony is indicated. But more me recent medical research has shown that such trauma occurs only when the heart is already damaged by disease. And so this picture of blood and water is more symbolic of the realities of what Christ has poured out. And I think this is more than just pericardial fluid that is leaking out, but indeed true water and blood flowing out at the same time, a picture of both the the, uh, the ushering in of the new covenant and the water of life, which is poured out now fully for all who partake of Christ and the atonement that is found in him and him alone. And then we see that there's the secret supporter of Jesus named Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy person who is mentioned in all four gospels, who takes the tomb that he had for himself and he gives it over to Christ. What a fitting end. The one who was born in a borrowed stable, laid in a borrowed manger, having to use a borrowed donkey, giving his Passover supper in a borrowed room, would be laid in a borrowed tomb. 
But that is fitting, for he would only need it for a short while. The darkness of this reality is intense, and it must be felt. We cannot rush to Sunday. We cannot rush to the light. We must feel the darkness and feel the weight of what Christ did for us at Calvary. Thanks be to God when he said it is finished. It indeed was finished. God bless.